Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Episode 148 on the docket for you today. We got Dean Thompson of Nice Motorsports on with us. Lots to unpack when it comes to his career, his rookie season so far in the Camping World Truck Series. I may or may not have gotten some intel from somebody very close to Dean so I could tease him on some stuff off the racetrack. You'll hear exactly what I'm talking about in this conversation with Dean. But before we do any of that, we got to pay homage to somebody with a familiar name. You may have heard of the guy. I think I think he may have had a little bit of success in his day. Maybe he's some football coach or something like that. I don't know. I'll let Papa Siegel take it away. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 148. Now, I could really get under Davey's skin by highlighting the accomplishments this week of James Hilton, who had 583 starts in the 48 car and two wins. Dude, relax. If we work our way around to 248, maybe we'll talk about Hilton, whose career actually is worthy of our attention. But today we continue the streak of no-brainer 40 numbers. If we're talking 48, we're talking about Jimmy Johnson. So, first the numbers. 686 cup races over 20 years. 83 wins, which is tied with Cale Yarbrough for 7th on the all-time list. Two Daytona 500s. Two Southern 500s. Four All-Star Race wins, four Brickyard 400s, seven wins at Texas, eight wins at Charlotte, including four Coke 600s, nine wins at Martinsville, a whopping 11 wins at the Monster Mile in Dover, and of course, seven championships, tied only with King Richard and Intimidator Dale. But where does Jimmy raid among the pantheon of NASCAR wheelmen? Davey and I have argued about people wanting to proclaim Johnson as the goat of NASCAR. I've been quick, perhaps too quick, to push back against that. Some put a lot of the credit for Johnson's success on the shoulders of his race team and his longtime crew chief. Okay, but just as Jimmy had Hendrick Motorsports and Chad Knauss, King Richard had Petty Motorsports and Dale Inman, and Dale Earnhardt had Childress Racing and Kirk Shelmerdine. Sure, Johnson raced in great equipment, but Petty's cars in his heyday and Earnhardt's at the height of his success were likewise dominant. And as far as the strength of their competition, each had primary rivals with Hall of Fame credentials of their own as well as a number of supporting cast drivers who, on any given week, could challenge the front runners. So how do we compare Johnson's accomplishments to those of great drivers of other eras? Apart from the numbers, the truth is that I don't know you can. 
It's like trying to decide whether Michael Jordan or LeBron James was a greater basketball player. In my day, before Tom Brady, similar arguments would be made about Johnny Unitas or Joe Montana. In baseball, it would be like comparing Babe Ruth to, well, pick any other player. For pitchers, try to consider Cy Young or Christy Mathewson or Walter Johnson versus Roger Clemens or Nolan Ryan or Steve Carlton, or today, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, or Justin Verlander. I just don't know if you can truly compare the greatness of competitors from different eras in their sports. I've come to the conclusion that the best thing to do is enjoy and appreciate their greatness for the times they competed in. Even as he plies his trade now in IndyCars, so too should we appreciate Jimmy Johnson for the greatness he demonstrated in stock cars. I still don't know if he's the goat of NASCAR, but I'm not sure that I care. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, I think Jimmy Johnson has done pretty, pretty good in his day. We'll see if he ever amounts to anything. Yeah, he's the goat in my mind, undisputed. No disrespect to Richard Petty, no disrespect to Dale Earnhardt, no disrespect to David Pearson, Kale Yarbrough, insert all the other names here. He is the guy that I think has an edge over all those guys for a multitude of reasons that we don't have to get into today, but in my eyes, Jimmy Johnson is the GOAT, and man, it would be a sight to see if he could contend or moreover win this year's Indianapolis 500 for Chip Ganassi Racing. That would be crazy. All right, let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old fashioned <laughs> and throw it straight over to our interview with Dean Thompson, driver of the number 40 Nice Motorsports truck in the Camping World Truck Series. Chatted about a lot of different things with Dean. Growing up in California, how he started racing, then stopped, decided to go back into racing, and now he's won a couple local and state titles in California and it ends up back in NASCAR in the Camping World Truck Series. How did that whole journey get navigated from his perspective, from his family's perspective? It's a really interesting story and one that I don't think we see a lot in NASCAR nowadays because most people just start and that's all they do their entire lives. Dean was a little bit different. Excited for you guys to hear how he explains that story. Plus off the racetrack, he's a big fisher, big hunter. He explains his passion for those. We've all been there when you just are on the boat, on the water, and you lose something in the water. Dean has been there, unfortunately. Haven't we all, right? I know it. A lot of ground that we covered with Dean, and I so appreciate his time, his honesty, and his candor addressing all of it with me. Here's my conversation with Nice Motorsports truck driver, Dean Thompson. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, driver of the number 40 truck for Nice Motorsports in the Camping World Truck Series. It is Dean Thompson joining us live on the hotline because we have tried three or four different times to get you on video, but you just really don't want to see my pretty face, do you? <laughs> this based on apartment Wi-Fi doesn't do me too well. No, apparently not. So you, you're in your basement apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina, is that right? Yeah. On the bottom floor of an apartment complex, so Wi-Fi down here is pretty rough, but I'll make do with my eye racing rig, you know? 
So, Dean, let's chat a little bit about before we get all the way back to when you started racing. I want to chat about the here and the now and the present right now with Nice Motorsports. How did this opportunity with Al Nice in this 40 truck come together in the first place? Because we know that they've been around for a while. We know that you've been tearing up the West Coast late model scene. But specifically to move up to the truck series and with Nice Motorsports, how did the whole opportunity come about for this year? Yeah, I did a pretty funny story. Um, I got connected with Carson through a mutual friend. And um, Carson and I just started talking pretty regularly. Um, and then once it came time to start looking for a new spot to move to uh, at the end of the season, I started looking around and talking to different people. And Nice wasn't even on my radar. Um, but Carson gave it, shot me a text and he's like, Hey, um, if you have a moment, why don't you shun over to Nice and, you know, talk to him and see what comes of it. Um, before all that, um, I had, a- had been asked to race, uh, what was it? Gateway and one other race. Oh, and Watkins Glen. But the boss couldn't run Watkins Glen with Nice. I really wanted to, but um, wasn't in the cards. It was way too short opportunity. But so yeah, Carson was like, "Why don't you shoot on over to Nice? Uh, go see what they got, and you know, just give them opportunity." I was like, "Of course, you know, I mean, why not?" So I uh, go on over there. I talked to Cody Efa, and you know, I just instantly, instantly fell out of the place. You know, lit up for sight. Uh, talked to him for about three hours. You know, lost track wow. of time and walked out of there and I was like, man, this is it. Like it just kind of, I just kind of knew like in my gut, like this is the right decision. And, you know, just the, the people there, the, the environment, um, the camaraderie between like all of the crew and the drivers. Um, I mean, it's just like no other shop that I've ever seen. Um, so, I mean, I fell in love with them and, you know, signed a contract and it's been glorious ever since. <laughs> Yeah, I can only imagine. So it seemed like you and Carson Hosevar had a pretty solid relationship and friendship even before this opportunity came about to be teammates in the truck series. How'd you meet up Carson for the first time? Well, actually, I actually met him in person um, right before I signed my contract. Um, it, like, we tried to meet up a couple of times. Um, he was always in Michigan when I was out here in North Carolina because I originally lived right. in California and Texas. And so our times never really aligned until I was I think it was maybe before, right before or just after I signed. Um, I actually met him in person, but it was, um, I actually got connected with him just through mutual friends um, that I've met through racing. Because, you, know, you know, I mean, racing is just a small world. Um, right. You're only like a connection or two away from, you know, Joe Gibbs, the Rick Hendrick, you know. So, hmm. you know, I, I could really, you know, you know how small the racing world is. So, that's... Really, the story, I mean, it's just such a small world, and got connected with him, got connected with Denise, and boom. It was like a super short span of time that got connected with him and Denise. So you got Carson Hosevar as one of your teammates. You had a previous relationship with him. You also got Chris Wright, Lawless Allen. You actually now, Dean, you complete the quartet of having all four Nice Motorsports drivers on this very show. So, you know, good for you on that, I guess. You're bringing up the rear in one sense. <laughs> I, I you know what, Davey, I'm, gl- I'm glad you saved the best for last. Yeah, me too. That's why I did it, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, obviously you have a good relationship with Carson. How about Chris and Lawless as well? I mean, 
having teammates in the truck series is obviously very, very important. You got to gotta get information from somewhere. You lean on those guys for that information. You guys seem to work well together on and off the racetrack. Do you guys have a good, solid relationship in terms of working as teammates? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, we were going to Vegas, and we were doing this road course testing in Nice, and we were all four of us were just sitting out there. No crew, no nothing, just the four of us. And us out there, we had a blast, all four of us together, driving around up and down the strip, you know, having fun. Uh, me and Wallace go and work out together, like, every single day, every single morning. I just got back nice. from it. Um, and then I see Carson, like, every day at the shop, uh, whenever he's there. Uh, and, yeah, same thing with Chris. Like, uh, teammates, like you said, are just so important nowadays, you know. it's You can't just do this on your own. You know, the, the guys who do it on their own, that's a lot of respect for them because, I lean on Carson, I lean on Wallace and Chris a lot for information um, because Carson and Wallace are different than I do. And so just to lean on them for information, like, hey, what are you doing that I can try? Um, and it's kind of funny having the veteran being younger than you, but, you know, it's, hmm. it's humbling. You know, I got to go up to Carson and be like, hey, you know more than I do. What are you doing here? How are you entering here? How are you driving off? You know, how much wheel you got into it? Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a great experience having four teammates rather than just one uh, and a hat out West. Uh, you know, just it's a whole new experience. You're learning how to like, what's the word? Like how to interact with teammates in the sense of like where yeah. you're benefiting sides and you're not just, you know, mooching off of them, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a blast. We're all in a similar age range and we all hang out. It's, it's pretty cool. Like when it rains, we'll all go go-karting in the rain and, it's just a blast with all those, all those guys. Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned California a couple times. I know you live in Charlotte right now, lived in Texas for a little bit, but let's go all the way back to when you were a wee little Dean, five years old. That's when you got started in racing in quarter midgets at Orange Show Speedway at San Bernardino, California. That place holds a special place in my heart, and I know it probably does for you too, being that that was where you started racing for the first time. What made you want to get involved in the first place in motorsports? You know what? My dad, so it's a pretty funny story. My, my dad um, was sitting around the block with all these other dads sitting by the fire. And um, they're talking about getting a little t-ball team together with all the neighborhood boys. It was a small little neighborhood we had. So they're all talking and I'm out there riding scooters with all the guys and, um, he calls me over. He's like, Dean, come over here. I go, I go, I go over. And he goes, Hey, you want to play t-ball with all the boys? Said, no, no way. <laughs> and he was like, why not? And I, I just showed up and really want to. And he goes, well, you want to play soccer? I was like, no, not really. So he goes down to the left of sports. He goes, you like got to play a sport. Like, what, what do you want to play? I told him I want to do racing. Cause we'd always watch, uh, the on Sundays. You know, I'd sit there with him, watch the Cup Series, and he'd fall asleep, and I'd keep watching. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, I always watched it, and I was like, I want to do that. And he's like, how the hell do I get a five-year-old into a race car? <laughs> so, you know, he looks it up. He makes a few connections. He found a quarter midget. It's just a go-kart with a roll cage. We go in circles. So we go out there and race in the middle of Warren's show, um, in the middle mm-hmm. of the track. And after we got, that was after we got kicked out of the Pomona Fairgrounds, um, got kicked out in the middle of the orange show. And then 
uh, my dad basically built the entire um, Orange Show track. It's still there. Um, he was a wow. general contractor, and he yep. built the entire thing from the ground up. He graded it. He, it was originally a dump, so he you know, moved all the trash. He graded it, laid the concrete, made the banking, and yeah, he, he built the entire thing, and I was the first first person to drive on it. So, yeah, that place holds a very special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, I, short story of how I got started there at Orange Show. Wow, interesting. Do you say you got kicked out of the fairgrounds? Yeah, so we were we would show up 5 a.m., get like little barriers, and we'd make little barriers into a small, like, flat track, you know, just a giveaway barriers, like, where you hit it and it just kind of float away. But, um, yeah, we'd make them there, and they booed us. And so we took a couple bricks from the, from the fairgrounds and made the start finish line with it. So you literally got kicked out of the fairgrounds for racing, basically. Basically, yeah. It was yeah. We were in Pomona, then we went to the middle of the Orange Show track, then we went mm-hmm. to the parking lot of it. Just all over, yeah. tearing up the Southern California racing scene. One, one track at a yeah, time, I seriously. guess. As a five-year-old. Yeah, I kept moving around. Yeah, I mean, we we were traveling all over not not I me mean, not even just the west coast team we were traveling all over the country by the time i was nine you know just every indy to um we were racing at home every now and then go to arizona i mean all over the place we'd start racing in quarter midgets as a nine-year-old okay okay so i find this interesting then because i know you know you liked racing and you were pursuing that but then hockey came calling because you, you played hockey competitively for about 10 years. And then you ended up getting back into racing on a really consistent basis when you were about 16 or so years old. So while you were playing hockey, you still were racing. Is that right? No, actually. So when people ask me about my, uh, about my racing story and how I got started racing, it's basically my life story. Cause I can't give you my racing story. I give them my life story. Please so, give us your life story, Dean. We want it. <laughs> it's a short life story that I've summed up. It's like I said, at from five to nine, I was racing quarter midget. Nine years old, we race we're racing like, all across the country. Even on uh well, we went on Friday nights, coming back home Sunday nights. And finally, at, at nine years old, I was like, I'm getting really tired of this in my neighborhood. My neighborhood best friend came up to me, and he was like, Dean, you haven't been to my birthday party in three years. Can you please come to this one? And I told my dad, I was like, I want to, I want to go to his birthday party. And he goes, well, we got a race in Tucson. And I said, well, I really want to go to his birthday party. And so he was like, okay, fine. We could just miss that one race. And eventually, you know, snowballed into more and more and more because I was a nine-year-old. And I wanted to go do fun things. I didn't have any scope of a career in my future. You know, I didn't really think about that. So eventually it kind of faded out, stopped racing at nine, um, tried some other sports like flag football and stuff and never really got into it. And then I found hockey. Um, my middle school had just started their roller hockey team and all my buddies were joining it. And I was like, you know what? I want to join this. And so I never watched the hockey game, but I wanted to go play with my buddies. So <laughs> I went to I went to the rink, showed up, and they strapped a couple pads on me, and I was trying to shoot in the net, and I missed every time. 
And I was like, wait, <laughs> why is there no goalie? And they're like, because no one wants to be goalie. And I was like, I'll be a goalie. You know what? I don't know. Yeah, I'm down for that. Why you know, not? I had no yeah. idea what being a goalie consisted of. And so I hopped in net and I started catching pucks. I'm like, this is a hell of a lot easier than you shooting them. You know, I'll sit here. Um, so I sat there, you know, playing ho- playing goalie for two years in roller hockey. Um, played that and then went, got to high school, played ice hockey for a couple of years. Uh, and, met, and I loved it. I mean, I, I loved every bit of it. Um, still love hockey today. Um, but then uh, Paul Custer invited me out to a race because we used to race quarter midgets together out in Orange Show. Um, so he invited me and my family out. So we're like, you know what? We haven't been to a Fontana race in forever. Why not? So we go out there and, you know, I, I start watching practice, qualifying, and I'm like, shoot, I made a wrong decision when I was nine. You know, I, I just fell completely back in love with it. I drove home completely silent. I just like was so torn because I loved hockey. And then yeah. I was watching nascar videos until three in the morning after the race and i was going to my dad after and i was like i have to start racing again i this is what i love because um, my entire career in hockey i always told people like i love hockey this isn't my talent my talent is driving race cars mm-hmm. like my entire hockey career i said that um but I was never racing at the time. I was just going to school and playing hockey. Um, so when I started, you know, falling back in love with racing again, uh, my dad was all about it because me and my dad would travel the country at nine years old together, you know? So he was all about it. You know, he uh, reached out to Irwindale, uh, said, how do I get him into a race car? And, you know, reached out to Tim Huddleston, the guy who owns the racetrack. And yep, yep. it uh, history ever since got into a speculate model there made a couple laps and i was burning it down um so figured that out pretty quickly and got second in my second ever race and i was like this is it this is it i'm not playing hockey anymore i have to i have to do this so that's how i got from hockey from racing to hockey back to racing so we have Cole Custer to thank for to you for being where you are now. Because without Cole Custer taking you to Fontana, you still may be playing hockey. Who knows? Oh, yeah. No, who knows? Exactly. Wow. Okay. So it's not normal, as you know, for a race car driver to take, you know, a five, six-year break, whatever it was for you. People would assume that they're done, you know? And I, I assume you at some points probably thought, well, you know, I probably won't ever race again. Maybe not competitively, but maybe I'll do it for fun on the side or something when I get a little bit older. I don't know. Did you ever think that you would come back to it? Did you know that this was something you were going to eventually pursue again? Or did you really think that hockey was just going to be the future? So I was going to figure it out. You know, I was going to see where where I was. Um, but I wasn't really thinking about, you know, the Cup Series, you know, like, like I was NHL when I was playing hockey. Um I, I just really trusted whatever God had planned for me. Um, and I was just, you know, rolling with the punches, you know, going to see what happens, what he, what he serves up. And you know what? He, I started winning and I was okay with that, you know? And once I started winning, I was like, shoot, this may become a career for me because I had always 
you know, got hard on myself. I was like, man, I should never quit. I would have been in the truck series right now. Yada, yada, yada. And, um, here I am in the truck series. But you know what? I mean, I, I was really not worried. I was really not worried about where my career was going to go when I started racing. Um, but once I started winning, I was I was all in, 100% in. That makes sense. Winning cures all, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, sir, it does. So 2020, you won a lot. 2021, you also won a lot. Irwindale track and state titles back in 2020. You had the Southwest Tour Rookie of the Year as well, to your credit. And then again, the next year in 2021, you won the, the track title again. So at that point, you had to be thinking to yourself, all right, I think I probably made the right decision. I wish that I was racing this whole time, but I'm glad that I'm back doing what I really, really like doing and something that I'm really talented at too, because again, you were winning a lot and you were having immense success locally um, and statewide, but Irwindale's a tough nut to crack, obviously. So having success at that track and in California, you had to be feeling pretty good about yourself at that point, I would assume. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, in 2020, I was always just taking it so, so over the top serious. I got to win every race. I got to qualify all time. I got to be top of the board every single practice. And I was just so locked in. Um, so super serious about it. And then I vividly remember... Um, I can't remember uh, what time frame it was. But I remember watching Sheldon Creed winning Darlington um, in the truck. And now he just told me, he said that he was so serious when he won his first championship. And now he's just taking it easy and, you know, he's trying to enjoy it more than he's, you know, than before. Um, and I was like, man, I can't remember like a time I was like relaxed in 2020. Mm-hmm. I got to like enjoy this. I got I got to relax and enjoy this and just enjoy yeah, yeah. the moment in 2021. And so when I was racing Arca and um or when the late models, I was having a good time, you know. And I went back to what I was saying. I I'm going to let God and you know, I'm going to let God control my destiny. Um wherever he wants me to go, I'm going to be there. So I'm I'm going to enjoy where I am now, work my hardest and not get too ahead of myself. Um, so I, that led to another track championship and, you know, winning, uh, oh, sorry, not winning. Damn near winning a bunch of races in ARCA. Um, <laughs> winning pole for Irwindale and Roseville. I mean, I was, 2020, I had more fun. 2021, I had more fun than I did in 2020, even even though I had less achievements, you know. Right. Um, I'm glad... I let myself enjoy the ride rather than take it too seriously. It's very important. And I think that a lot of us can take lessons from that, you know, whether it's doing what I'm doing, being a race car driver, working a desk job. I mean, there's a lot to be said for enjoying what you're doing, even though it's a job and you got to treat it like a job at some points, there's definitely something to be said for making sure you're enjoying yourself because if you're not, then that just kind of drains you, you know, in every sense of the word. So racing is ultra competitive and it's ultra important to you and your family, obviously. But I guess looking back on 2021 compared to 2020, when you were just all business, you know, not really trying to revel in the moment and have fun. I would assume that you probably tried to take a little bit of that to your truck series rookie year right now. And even though it's tough and it's a job and you're trying to be serious about it, you also want to recognize and realize that having fun is, is honestly an important part of it. I mean, yes, it's a job, but having fun 
is part of the job in order for you to do that well. You know what I mean? Yeah, it comes down to mentality. You know, it's just twenty. If I was the same person now as I was in twenty twenty, racing the truck series, I would be, you know, I'd be all over the place, worried that I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna ever win a race. I'm not gonna win rookie of the year. You know, I, I need to do more, more, more. Um, but I'm glad I have this mentality and this mindset of just, you know what. God's got me. I'm, I know I'm going to go wherever he plans me to go, um, and I'm going to enjoy it. You know, I, we've had a rough start to the year, um, but I can't hang on that. You know, I can't hold a grudge on anybody. I can't hang on this tough, on that tough start of the year. I just got to look forward and just lead myself in that direction. I can't look in the rearview mirror because when I look in the rearview mirror, it tears you up. You just can't especially not in the racing world. If you keep looking in the rearview mirror, you'll never move forward. Um, so, yeah, that mindset's really gotten me through at the beginning of this year. And we're already making huge gains. You know, we made a couple changes, and, you know, we're making huge gains, finishing races, doing a lot better. Been Kansas, a little rough. Kansas was a little rough, but it's a reality check, you know. Even though things are going really good, I can't just, you know, let super loose. I got to yep. still stay in check. I got to still push forward. Um you know, it's not gonna, just going to come to me. It's a lot of hard work. Um, so I'm really looking forward to Texas and how I prepare myself for this race. I remember last year in Phoenix, that was your first truck series start. And I remember, you know, chatting with you a little bit beforehand about how you were going to approach the race, you know, obviously going to run full time the following year. When you ran that race, A, what do you remember about that day, that race, and was it a bit of a rude awakening to see that the competition in the truck series is not what you get every week at Irwindale? It's not what you get in Arca West, or was it about what you thought going in? Dude, well, that that Phoenix race was a fever dream. I mean, <laughs> holy cow! I I was so like, I, that was the only time I was ever a fan while racing. If that makes any sense, I mean, holy it cow, that's Johnny yeah. Sutter, you know. Boom! Right past, right past me, and then I was, I was like, okay, no, no, I, I need to keep focusing. You know, it was just um, it was also a, a race where I had to do it to get approved for Daytona. That was partially the reason why we did it. Right. Um, but man, I was just enjoying the moment, man. I was, you know, I was just trying to have as much fun as possible. Looking at all the first live pit stop ever. Um, had to figure it out. Um, I don't think that the time during the race where I wasn't smiling. Um, it was just a surreal, surreal experience. My first ever truck race. I mean, I've watched since I was a kid, you know, now I'm there. Um, it was a super surreal experience. I can't, honestly, I can't tell you many memories I have from it because I was just so, you know, like fever dream in the moment. Yeah, I get it. Overwhelmed with excitement. How do you strike the balance, though, of making sure that, you know, you're having fun inside the race car and you're enjoying yourself, but also having that competitive fire and that spirit to to do what got you there and what you're signed up to do, and that's race and compete and win? Because it's a tough balance to strike, but if you do strike it the right way, then the results obviously will be really fruitful. You know what I mean? It's a tough thing to do. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, outside the racetrack, I'm a fun, easygoing guy. You know, I'm not not too serious about much when i need to be serious i'll be serious like during driver you know driver debriefs but uh, once the helmet goes on i'm a completely different person 
I feel like a completely different person. I get more in the zone. I feel relaxed. Um, so calm. Um, you know, yellow flags are a different deal, but once we're green flag racing, I'm just I'm calm, but I'm aggressive. Uh, yeah. I know, I know the job I have. I know what I need to do. And these guys are out here ruining my career. I, I, that's my mindset I have. These guys are out <laughs> here to ruin my career, and I have to beat that. Um, so that's just kind of mindset I have. I have to be calm, but aggressive. I have to be there, but not just, you know, drive through them. Um, and it's a lot of learning. It's a lot of learning. It's a big step from ARCA to trucks. Uh, a lot more than people would think. There's just so, so much to learn in this level compared to um, racing ARCA, racing late models. So I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it uh, off the track. I've been in the truck. You know, I couldn't tell you how many memories I have in the truck. It's just so locked in focused. Dive into that a little bit more. What are some of those things that you, you have had to learn in the truck compared to the ARCA car or the late model or some things that you've you've had to adjust to and stand back and say, whoa, I, I didn't expect this or I didn't realize this worked that way? Because I assume, like you said, there's a lot that you need to learn and that you currently still are learning. But what are some of those intricacies? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, patience is a big one. Um, ARCA late model races are so fast, you know? Short races, you got to, you know, just you're 100%, 100% of the time. Arca races, maybe not so much, a little bit longer, but I was racing west. And west races are short track with a large lap count. And, you know, even with a large lap count, those races are quick. So I got to just, I got to, you know, haul in the mail and get up there as fast as possible. Um, so there's not really a lot of patience in Arca, um, especially in the east and west. Um, also, why pit stops? I gotta, I gotta learn how to do a live pit stop. I gotta learn how to do a green flag stop. I've, I've done a green flag stop yet. Isn't that crazy? I, I've never done a green flag stop. We're, I was about to do one in Kansas, and I was all stoked for it. That's insane. I did not think about that. That's nuts. Because yeah, these truck races always have yellows whenever we need tires. So, um, but it's yeah, it's just like five pit stops, patience. I mean, I was um, aiming for eleventh place at Darlington, and then I got best myself but I wasn't patient enough in the last corner of the last lap you think you don't be patient on the last corner of the last lap but I try to drive to the outside of Stuart Freeze and then I got you know knocked the right side and um hit the wall um just in those moments you still got to be patient even when you're coming in the line um in Kansas you know I was just trying to you know trying to get up to Wallace I saw him hit the wall I got all excited try to catch up to him and I spun on my own um another warning moment um, patience is just such a big, big thing um, in the truck series. So I was watching the end finger uh, work on trying to pass, I think it was Haley, um, for 20 laps. Just watching him try to do it, you know, learning what he's doing. Um, race goes on, I get out of the car, and uh, my crew chief, Joe, was like, yeah, end finger finished, what was it, third? Like, and then fingers was being patient the entire time. I would have gotten so frustrated with what he was doing. You know, I was like, what? Right. I can't, I can't get past this person, but he was just so slow, monotonous, and, you know, just calculated. He knew what he was doing. And look where he finished. Um, so, yeah, I think patience is the biggest thing I'm trying to learn right now, even bigger than live pit stops. You know, there's, there's another elephant in the room, so to speak, and a lot of it's in the truck series. And I want to talk about, um, you know, family and how that's impacted your racing career. 
Thomas Thompson Pipe Group is on the truck. They were on the, they're on your late model. Family business is obviously super super helpful to you in your racing career, but there are people out there that label you as somebody who got here and got to the truck series solely based on money. I know that's not true. You know that's not true because we've gone over your accomplishments and everything like that. But there's a lot of people that are fans of the sport, that are in the sport, that may put that label wrongly so on you or on other drivers in the trucks, Xfinity, and the Cup Series. I'm curious how you handle those people and you how you handle those situations when somebody may have a preconceived notion about you or label you as somebody who got here in a different way than you actually did. Right. Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know what? With those people, I don't really have, I don't really try to change their mind. I don't, you know, I, I put no effort into trying to change their mind. I change their mind on the track. Um, I'm so thankful to have Worldwide Express and Global Trans and Unisippers on their truck. Um, because, you know, it, yeah, we were going, we were going into this full time season, um, hoping that we'd be full time. You know, there, there was no, um, we were going to do this full time. Yeah. Because Worldwide Express came on uh, after we signed the contract. And so my dad, he was like, you know what, Dean? You know, you, you're a great talent. I'm proud of everything you've accomplished, but I'm not going to sponsor your full season. You're going to have to do this on your own. Like you're gonna have to find your own sponsor. You're gonna have to find your own money. I can't. I'm not gonna pay for you forever. You know, I'll I'll help with late models. I'll help with Arca. But you know, truck series. We were we were hoping for part time, maybe you know, a good amount of races. Um, but it, it was never gonna be full time until World Express came on. We announced it to be full time, hoping that we'd find sponsors along the way. And right. thank goodness we did. Um. But I think when people, people knew that story of my dad is not like the kind of guy to just, you know what, here's a check, go have fun. Um, he wants me to learn. And that's what I've been doing. I've, I've been, every day I, I try to look for new money, new sponsors. Even, even though I have a full-time sponsor, I, you know, you can never have enough. Um, you know, it's, I don't try and go change with people, people's minds. I mean, people have, want to make decisions want to make the opinion that they have and i'm okay with that um it's just you know i'll say hi to them in victory lane so <laughs> i love that i love that it, it is a good point though i mean you know some people that that's all consuming right I, i'm guilty of it i'm a people pleaser and i i do care what people think about me i'm working on that and there's some people out there that do there's some people out there that don't and i think you have the right approach which is you're not going to necessarily change everybody's mind. Like that's unrealistic. And in your type of situation, the way that you're able to change people's minds or educate people on what your background is and the actual situation are tell them the facts. And that's kind of what we've gone over. And in terms of how you got started in your racing career and your family has helped you, but then getting to the point that you are now is based on results. And now running a full-time season is based on you going out there with the help of Nice Motorsports and trying to gain that sponsorship for a full-time season. And, you know, frankly, for, for somebody that's as young as you are in the position that you are, that's something that I'm sure has been really hard and a challenge. And it probably gives you a better appreciation for all that goes into making the truck hit the track on Friday or Saturday and hit the hauler, leaving the race shop. Because, you know, a lot of people, they just think 
you show up on race day, you do the, you do your thing, you go home and you do it again next week. But in actuality, there's a lot more that goes into it. And I'm sure you have known this, but now you're kind of really living it down there in Charlotte with Nice. It's more than just meets the eye in terms of the car hitting the racetrack. And even as the driver, you have to be up to date on all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make that thing go when it hits the racetrack. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, these guys at the shop, they work, you know, countless hours. I mean, I, I can't thank them enough for everything they do. Um, I wouldn't be able to do this without them. Um, I mean, they're just, I mean, like I said, this is why I chose um, Nice Motorsports. It's because of the camaraderie of the crew to the driver. I mean, these guys, you know, really want to see me succeed. They're not there, rent, you know, renting on an engine to make a check. They're out there renting on an engine because they want to go win and they want to see me succeed, um, which is super humbling. Um, yeah, I, I go to the shop just about every single day, check on them. You know, I don't personally wrench on the engine, but I'm more so a cheerleader and, a, you know, just it's nice for them to see their driver be interested in what they're doing. Yeah, you know, I, I'm right over top watching them do what they're doing and talking with them, you know, having fun you know, cracking jokes, talking about the playoffs. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a great time. You know, I, I always track a time when I get there. It, it's just super, super good time. They, they enjoy me being there. I enjoy being there with them. And all the other drivers that are there, too. Um, and there's, there's a lot of business that goes on there. You know, just driver debriefs, you know, pre-race debriefs. Um, just a lot of stuff that goes on on a day-to-day basis there at the shop. You know, I'm sure that you've had a couple rookie moments this season, whether it's on track, off track. I think the biggest one may have been forgetting your hard card for the first race of the season, even though you're a driver. You had to turn back and go get it. Come on, Dean. What are we doing here? Let's go. Pick it up. Man, who gave you this information? I think you and I both know who gave me this information. We know the answer. Man. Yeah, no, that was for sure a rookie moment because in ARCA <laughs> – I just had it in my wallet, but they give it to you in a lanyard. And I was like, do I need it on a lanyard? Or does it, can I just have it in my wallet? Because I had no clue how a hard card works. And so I, I kept it on my lanyard. We drove the Krispy Kreme because I had a Krispy Kreme forever. Got all these donuts. We're all happy. We're all driving right up to the track. And, you know, we're showing each other, we're showing the guy our hard cards. And I'm sweating, sweating in the car, <laughs> you know. First ever race, and I'm like, um, guys, <laughs> we need to turn around. Oh man, that was a quiet car ride, car ride on the ride back, but we all got over it. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> for sure a rookie moment. You pulled that one out. Wow. Oh, that's just scratching the surface, my friend. How about that time where uh, you and your girlfriend Sam, you were fishing? Uh, I know you're a big fisher. I know you're really passionate about that and hunting, but she actually caught four, and you only caught one. How'd that feel? <laughs> Man, I gave her the good spot. I gave her the good spot to catch fish. Sure you did. Uh-huh. But that property in Texas, uh, there's like a little overpass that goes around the pond. And then there's a shaded area next to the tree. And I I catch all my fish on that little part, on that little overpass. So you're just a nice guy. Obviously, obviously I want her to have a good time because she's not a big fisher. And she doesn't want to stand there fishing all day. And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll put her in a good spot and get her all excited when she catches a fish. And then, yeah, 
Now she catches four fish and she talks smack about it. I'm like, this, this plan has backfired on me. Well, hey, not to rub salt in the wound, but I know that there was also a similar time on the water where you lost your nice pair of Oakley sunglasses and they disappeared never to be seen again. Oh, my gosh. This is, you know, I am not a very clumsy person, but that around the harbor, everyone's stoked. And I have these super nice glasses I've been wearing, you know, I got for myself. Um, And then her stepdad, hilarious. You know, there's never a dull moment with this man. And when I say never a dull moment, there's never a dull moment with this man. (laughs) You know, obviously cracking the joke. I laugh. I kick my head back laughing and bloop, gone right into the water. Because I I sat on my head. I mean, I felt awful, just terrible. You know, coming back from the boat and it just ruined my day. just ruined my night. It's happened to me too. I, I, I know the feeling. It's not good. It sucks. And then you're trying to search for me like there's no point. It's gone forever. You see, I would have jumped in and grabbed them, no doubt. But the worst is, it was like algae filled and it was like gross. Yeah. Really high. I mean, I couldn't, it's hard to describe the water and where, like, where the boat docking is. I was like, oh, I'm not jumping in that. But, but, I don't know if you got this information. Um, the lovely mother got me a brand new set of glasses that wow. were even nicer than the ones I had. Wow. I told her, you don't have to. You don't have to. She goes, no, no, no. You need them. The ones I had that fell in the water were non-polarized, and she bought me the polarized version. Wow. Better not lose those now. Oh, no. We bought a little neck guard where it wraps around <laughs> your head. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. All right, I got a couple more quick hitter ones for you before I let you go. I hear that you're a bit of a picky eater. H- how picky are we talking? <laughs> Man, you're digging up everything. Okay. I do my research. <laughs> I'm a little picky. I mean, I, I don't technically like eating super healthy foods. I, I, I enjoy eating my hamburger and hot dog. Join the club, baby. But if, but, I, but if I need to eat healthy like after a workout, I will, for sure. But I do enjoy my cheat days, which is every day that ends with Y. Hey, join the club. Me, me and you both, brother. All right, so, like, you're, you're picky when it comes to not eating healthy stuff, which I think we can all relate to. But, like, you're not picky in the sense of, like, oh, you know, I can only have my pizza a certain way or I can only have a certain type of taco or whatever. Like, you're not that level of picky. No, 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 no. Pizza, come on. Come on now. I know, I know. Some some people, I'm just saying, some people don't love their pizzas, so we need to be need to be clear on that. Okay, uh, I wish I had more time with you to give you some more crap about the Rainforest Cafe, which is a great place, um, and the fact that you're a Cowboys fan because go Commanders, baby. But I will end with the racing question. Uh, in terms of the rest of this season, any specific goals or expectations that you specifically, you personally have to accomplish with this 40 group do you have any of them or is it really something that in your rookie season you can only just kind of take it week to week and go from there and reevaluate as you see fit yeah i mean um, goals yeah goals i, I want to win races and get top fives and top tens expectations are a whole different thing you know people tend to mix expectations and goals into the same group when they're completely different um i have the expectation to, I want to, I want to, I want to learn a lot. 
I want to be a sponge. I want to just want an absolute ton of everything about the truck and how it runs and how it races and what I need and what I don't need and, you know, why pit stops, patience, everything. Um, so, I mean, yeah, my goals is to win races. My expectations is just, is just learn. My rookie year, I can't really expect myself to go out there and just tear up the scene on the spot. Um, so just go out, learn everything I can, have a good time. And then next year, come back at it and just, you know, tear it up. I love it. Well, Dean, I appreciate your time so much here today. We'll have to have you back on and I'll have to go with some intel with, uh, with one of our mutual friends, shall we say, to get some more dirt on you. Cause that was fun, but I appreciate your time and your perspective, man. Thanks for playing along and thanks for telling your story a little bit. I think the fans will enjoy it. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. Had a great time. And we're back. Whew, what a chat. What a guy, right? Great, great dude, Dean Thompson. Thank you so much for the time, my friend. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you as well to Drew Taylor with Nice Motorsports for helping coordinate that conversation on a bit of a short notice. But I appreciate Drew and Dean both working with me to get this episode disseminated out to you guys in a timely fashion. Great to chat with him. Great to catch up. And we'll be watching him throughout the rest of the season. We got to briefly chat about Kansas Speedway and preview the all-star race at Texas Motor Speedway. I was able to watch about the second half of the race at Kansas. I was watching it with some of my high school buddies down in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was trying to entertain them and like explain stuff to them, tell them, and answer questions that they had, which I really get a lot of enjoyment out of. But let's chat about Kurt Busch because boy, oh boy, that boy good. We knew that Kurt Busch was probably going to win a race this year. At least I thought he was. I don't know if I expected it necessarily this soon. And the way that he did it, too, was really impressive. Gets it done over the defending champ, Kyle Larson. And, man, he had to make him work for that second-place finish. But Kurt's car was so good. It was on rails, and he definitely had the best car. Sometimes the fastest car does not always win. I don't think that was the case on Sunday at Kansas. I think the fastest car most certainly won that race. And, man, it was a pretty good-looking one, too. I wish that the 45 was in the middle of the door so that way the Jordan brand logo and the elephant print could have been a little bit better looking, I guess, cohesively and as a whole. But I ain't going to complain because that car was sick. That car was fresh. And one of my buddies who I was watching the race with, Dominic, if you're listening, love you, kid. Uh, he is a big sneakerhead, big Jordan brand guy. And he was like, oh, my God, Jordan brand on a NASCAR car. That That's awesome. And it was. And I guess Dominic brought him good luck or maybe MJ did because – Kurt Busch put in a GOAT performance for the GOAT. Man, that was that was a sight to see. 23-11, big, big day for them. They were bad on pit road with Bubba Wallace, but he was somehow able to rebound for a top 10 finish, his first top 10 since the Daytona 500 runner-up finish earlier this year. If it wasn't for his pit road issues and he came from the back like two or three separate times, he probably was going to be contending for the win with Kurt because he had a top five car at worst. I think he had race winning speed, if we're being honest. All six Toyotas finished inside the top 10. That is a welcome development for that manufacturer and that organization of Joe Gibbs Racing and 2311 as a whole. It was kind of a feel good day, just overall, especially at the end when you saw Kurt Busch pull onto Pit Road. Denny Hamlin went and congratulated him, and Kurt Busch saying, you know, we did this, we did this as a team. And 
Then he had tears in his eyes and he was crying. And he said that this win, surprisingly, to me at least, was more emotional and meant more to him than any win he has had personally in his career, which is really, really telling. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. Wish we had more time to do it on this episode. But Kyle Busch even come over too and congratulating him there. And it was kind of a jovial thing. He's like, hey, uh, you ride with Danny on the plane home tonight? And Danny's like, yeah, I got him. Um, So that was really cool. Obviously, the Jordan brand being on the car is not insignificant. And that being a win in their first time in the sport, that's big. That's big for the younger generation. For them to see a Jordan brand on a car, a Jordan brand athlete in the sport of NASCAR having success at the highest level and winning, that's a big deal. And I think that Kurt Busch's career just needs to be appreciated a little bit more. He's been racing in cup for almost as long as I have been alive. He's been winning every single year in cup almost, besides those couple years where he had some off-track issues, self-inflicted albeit, but he's rebounded from those and completely, completely transformed himself in terms of not who he is as a race car driver, but who he is as a person off-track, right? I mean, just the way he carries himself in interviews, the way that he's built up multiple teams. You talk about his time at Phoenix Racing, his time at Furniture Row, Chip Ganassi Racing, Stuart Haas, 2311, Penske, Roush, you name it. Wherever he has been, he has either won with regularity or come really, really close and way outperformed the equipment that he was in. I mean, Kurt's a champion. He's a Daytona 500 winner. He's won, again, at 2311. Ganassi, Stuart Haas, Penske, Roush. Almost Furniture Row. Almost Phoenix Racing with James Finch. In my eyes, Kurt Busch is a slam dunk, no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famer. If Matt Kenseth gets in on the first ballot, I think Kurt Busch does too. I think that their careers are pretty evenly matched in terms of what they have accomplished on track. And again, I'll give you that. Kurt Busch had some self-inflicted things happen to him off track and that affected how he performed on track that did but the way that he was able to rebound from that the way that he was able to rebuild himself personally and professionally that is something to be celebrated and that's something that is really really impressive to me and you know the on track accomplishments they mean a lot but I'm sure to him when he looks back and he's in his mantle and his rocking chair 20 30 years from now he's probably going to look back on the accomplishments that he had off track and growing personally and look at those as something that he was really, really proud of. So it was a cool day on Sunday to see all the emotion that was happening and all the racing that was going on. And at the end of the day, Kurt Busch emerges a winner at Kansas Speedway. And now 2311 and Kurt Busch, they're in the playoffs. I want to end. It's not a somber note. I've talked about it on the pit reporters this week on PRN. I did it on the front stretch podcast. I'll do it wherever because this is just how I feel. The all-star race isn't doing it for me. It it has no mojo. It's got no luster. It's got no appeal for me anymore. The format is too convoluted, too long, too hard to understand. It's complicated. The track that it's at, Texas, I understand why we're there, and no disrespect to the fine folks at Texas, but the racetrack just sucks. I'm sorry to say that, but it really does, and... The, the all-star race just doesn't do it for me anymore. And I said this on the pit reporters and on the front stretch pod. So go listen here in a couple minutes when this episode's over. But we have the clash, which is essentially a glorified all-star race. And I think that you need to give these teams more time off, more time with their families. Less is more. I think that you could maybe formulate the all-star race and take it to a different place, change the format, 
include some eliminations, spice it up. You can try, and you know, kudos to NASCAR for continuing to innovate, continuing to try. Just me personally, and I know that I'm not alone, but this is just my feeling. It's not doing it for me, and it hasn't for the last couple years. I, I just can't get jacked up for it like I used to be able to. And I'm gonna watch, and I'm gonna probably enjoy it. I just don't see a place for the all-star race in this sport at the Cup Series level anymore, and that's just how I feel. I wish I felt differently, but it's just how I feel. But with that being said, who's going to get the million dollars this weekend? My pick is Ross Chastain, and if he does not have coins somehow like ledged into the watermelon when he smashes it, that's going to be a disappointment for me. So Ross Chastain's my pick. Tune into the Fox Family Networks this weekend to see who wins that $1 million. That'll wrap things up for episode 148 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today, please, please, please do me a favor. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast on all your major podcast platforms, Apple, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get them. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. Thank you to everybody who reached out after my announcement on Twitter this week that I'm going full-time with SiriusXM NASCAR Radio as an associate producer. Really, really excited to hop on with them. And I'm also really excited to share with you guys some future stuff going on in the future as it pertains to SiriusXM. Thank you guys for hopping on, and I will talk to you guys next week on Victory Lane. We'll catch you on the flip side, party people.